This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN. So hit us up on X, formerly Twitter, at Hardesty ESPN, at Gordon Damer, at ESPN NY, 98 underscore 7 FM. Hey, Gordon, how are you? Larry, what's going on tonight, my friend? Everything is great, my friend. Everything is great. Let's get right to our Know Your Opponent segment. We begin with Tom Silverstein. He is the reporter for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel covering the Green Bay Packers. Tom, Larry Hardesty, and Gordon Damer, how are you? Doing well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Thanks for giving us a couple of minutes. Tom, the Packers have won three straight, the last two against Detroit and Kansas City, pretty good teams. They're now 6-6. Six and six. So what has changed in your mind over the past few weeks? Well, I think they just started to mature a little bit. I think they started the season, you know, with a very young receiver core, a new quarterback, and it just kind of took time for them to gel. And I think, you know, they had the the basis for a decent defense and okay offensive line. And once they sort of got the uh, mechanics of the offense together where Love felt really comfortable with his receivers and his protection. I think they just kind of sort of just gelled all at once. And it, it was kind of remarkable because it really just started with the Detroit game. But you could see they were close. They were in a lot of games early in the season. Um, but they just they didn't look good offensively. And then all of a sudden, it just started to click for them. Tom, is there a quarterback who's made more progress in the course of the season than Jordan Love has? I don't know. It'd be, it'd be hard to find one because, you know, he, he had a stretch where he threw, you know, like eight interceptions in five games, six games, and he, he couldn't finish games. They had some chances to win some games early in the season where the ball was in his hands at the end of the game. But uh, it, it just didn't happen. The only thing you could see is, you know, the guy has talent. He has arm talent. And he's very, very even keeled. And so none of the, other, none of the stuff that happened in the early part of the season really crushed his confidence. And so I guess just through time and, and um, continuity with his receivers, things started to click. Tom, let's talk about the running game. A.J. Dillon may have not ran for a huge amount of yards against Kansas City, uh, but he seemed like he punished them a little bit, especially as the game wore on in that fourth quarter. How important has the running game been to help Jordan Love get better at the quarterback spot? Yeah, especially early when Aaron Jones was healthy. I mean, he's kind of the heart and soul of their of their offense. And, you know, he, he helped Love quite a bit. But once he got – he's been hurt twice, and, and he's questionable for this weekend. Uh, Dylan has had to step up. And he really did not play well the first half of the season. Um, he just – he, he was kind of hesitant with how he played. Um, I, I don't know if he just lost a little confidence or what, but second half of the season, he's just kind of taken it, you know, just been more aggressive and decided he's just going to 
um, not dance around, and he's going to take it right into the hole. And he's a big guy, you know, 240 pounds, and uh, they call him Quadzilla for a reason. He's got massive legs, and he can he can pound out four yards. You know, he's playing. He's just playing more confidently, and I think you'll see a lot of him on on Monday night. Tom, I know they're, uh, the Packers are a very young team. Uh, with that youth, do these guys look at this as they, they are expecting to make the playoffs this year? Well, the whole the, – the discussion outside the building was that, you know, the, everything was pointing towards 2024. You know, they were going to do what they could with what they have, a first-year starter, um, you know, they don't have any wide receivers with more than uh, going into the season with more than one year of experience. Their tight ends are all rookies. They they were really, you know, you just didn't know for sure what they were going to do. But now that they've gotten to this point, I think making the playoffs is critical for them. It doesn't matter maybe necessarily how far they go. But getting there is going to be really important for love, for the future. And who knows? You never know what, ha- what happens when you get to the playoffs. And their remaining schedule is very favorable. I think they have the, the um, weakest schedule of anyone in the NFL in the final five weeks. So they're expecting – I think the expectation around here is that they'll make the playoffs. Tom Silverstein is a reporter for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. He covers the Green Bay Packers. He's part of our Know Your Opponent segment here on ESPN New York tonight. Tom, let's talk about the defense a little bit. From a number standpoint, what, ninth in scoring defense, about 20 points per game, uh, 18th in total defense, giving up about 340 yards per game. Tell me about how this defense has performed during this three-game streak. And, Tom, I got a, a hint for you. The way this offense has been for the Jets, I don't think you have to worry about 340 yards per game this week. You know, the defense has been sort of an enigma throughout the year. Um, the Their weakness has been run defense, and they're, they're built around stopping um, deep passing games. They, they do not want to give up a big play, and they don't give up a lot of big passing plays. But they do give up a lot of run yards. So, you know, I mean, I expect Saquon Barkley to get – 25 carries because if you're not, then then you're cheating your offense because there, there's yards to be gained against the defense. But the question is, you know, if they can stop you, if they can at least slow your running game down, then they can get to their pass rush, and their pass rush is very good. Uh, Rashawn Gary's having a um, remarkable comeback year after tearing his ACL. Um, Kenny Clark, their um, inside defensive tackles, one of the best inside rushers around. Preston Smith's outside linebacker, he's having a very good year. And then they have some young pass rushers that um, have really come along. So their whole thing is, you know, if they if they can keep, you know, the running game to where they can, you know, get into second and six or, or you know, third and five, then, then they can come at you with their pass rush. But um, there have been some teams that have been able to, to gash them with the run game. What's the status for Jair uh, Alexander? 
You know, we never know. It's been every week, last four weeks, I thought he was going to play. And he's got a shoulder injury that apparently just isn't healing the way they want it. Um, he He practiced all last week and didn't play. He practiced some of the week before that and didn't play, and he's practicing this week. So we'll see. But they've had two young corners who have really done a tremendous job uh they haven't really missed him i you know you hate to say that uh for a guy that talented but um they've got a rookie seventh round pick carrington valentine who's played remarkable and then uh cory valentine another guy on the other side he's like a third year guy and he's played remarkably well so um if if jerry alexander comes back that's kind of like a feather in their hat and Tom, what about uh, Christian Watson, wide receiver? Yeah, I don't think he's going to play. I'd be I'd be shocked if he played. Um, this is the second time he's hurt his right hamstring, and I got a feeling they're going to be careful with him. Um, he's too valuable. He's had injury problems this year, but he kind of had the breakout game against Detroit, then had a big game against Kansas City, and then he late in the game he pulled the hamstring and so I would I would bet he's not going to play Tom Silverstein reporter for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel thanks for a couple of minutes and giving us some insight on the Green Bay Packers have a great holiday enjoy the game we'll talk to you down the line you're very welcome have a good night all right thanks Tom when we return we'll go down to Houston Find out what the Texans are expecting from the New York Jets. That's next on ESPN New York Tonight. This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN. It's time to know your opponent. It's ESPN New York tonight here on 98.7 ESPN. Hardesty and Damon until midnight. Now it's part two of Know Your Opponent. We head down to Houston. That's where DJ Bienneman, former Daily News Jet reporter, now covering for the Houston Texans for the ESPN National Reporters, joins us. DJ, it's Larry and Gordon in New York. How are you? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. You know, just sitting back watching uh, the Patriots, uh, Patriots Steelers game and how I actually had some playoff implications that actually benefited the Texans. So, yeah. That sounds good. So, DJ, first of all, I, I can't resist. You're looking for you, looking from the outside. How does this Jets season compare to a couple of the seasons you experiences while you was, uh, you know, hanging out at one Jets drive? Uh, I, I mean, granted, I got there in 2021, covered some of the off season 2022. From the outside looking in, man, it just looks like look like it looks like an absolute mess. And I mean, to be honest, <laughs> I know a lot of people haven't like you know, <laughs> said this, but, I mean, you got to blame a decent amount of this on, you know, the, for, from an infrastructure standpoint, you got to blame a lot of this on Aaron Rodgers, right? Like, the pursuit of Aaron Rodgers, right? Because, like, you go after Nathaniel Hackett, who obviously was a disastrous offensive coordinator, because um, everywhere he's been, when he actually had to call plays, the offense was never good. The only year where he was even, like, slightly above average was 2017 when the Jaguars went to the AFC Championship game, but in reality, that was led by the defense. And, you know, that one crazy game where, you know, they put up 45 points on the Steelers in the playoff game. But out of that, the majority of the seasons were not good. And then last year was an absolute abomination. 
So with the, with the Broncos, okay, so then you bring in Alan Lazard. Everybody with eyes knew Alan Lazard wasn't even a two. I mean, he had an opportunity to be a one when Aaron Rodgers after Devontae Adams left, and what happened? He was a three. He was behind Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson, okay? Then you bring in Randall Cobb. Randall Cobb been washed since, like, like – Randall Cobb been watching like the Trump administration. He's been watched for a while, okay? And then you bring in um, – you don't really add much on the offensive line, knowing based off of last year, offensive line was an issue, right? Yes, you bring in Billy Turner, but, I mean, Billy Turner is not, is not good, right? So you have, a, like, a lot of the infrastructure that has caught – and you bring in Tim Boyle to be the third quarterback when in reality you, you could have went and got a legitimate backup to just in case if Aaron Rodgers got hurt, you could have – been able to use that guy instead of Zach because it's supposed to be a quote-unquote redshirt year. So, I mean, like, there's a lot of issues within the, the, the structure. Like, the process makes sense, but then we actually looked at who they went after and things of that nature. Like, going after Aaron Rodgers is fine. But giving him the franchise when he hasn't done anything for your franchise was absolutely lunacy. And now, once he got hurt, everything fell apart. DJ, we were talking the other night, Larry and I, about how the, the Texans and the Jets are almost like complete – mirror opposites of each other they've both done a lot of the same things but the Texans have gotten it right the Jets have gotten it wrong defensive coordinator from San Francisco Jets got it wrong Texans got it right second pick in the draft they draft quarterbacks the Texans got it right the Jets got it wrong are the Texans as an organization surprised by how quickly this has come together oh that's a really really good question I would say that there's people in the organization that talked to that that believe that they were going to shock people and it, and, and it felt genuine, right? Like, like it didn't feel like they were selling false hope. I think once they got D'Amico and they got CJ, they knew that they had a chance to turn this around fast. But we all know you hit on the quarterback, you have a shot. You hit on the head coach, you're definitely not on track to be, potentially become a Super Bowl type of team, right? So I think, um, in all honesty, I think that they aren't that surprised. Like me, I thought they were going to be better than the consensus, right? Like people thought them trading their first-round picks but what Anderson was absolutely crazy. But I always said, you look at the roster, look at the players that they had, they were much, 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 much better than people realize. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not that surprised that they won seven games. I am surprised that Copper didn't win like six, seven games, but I am surprised that they're in the playoff hunt with a chance to legitimately be in the playoffs, and I think they'll make the playoffs. But, yeah, so I would say, like, people in the building aren't surprised. But, you know, obviously, you know, from the national perspective, of course people are. DJ, last season, as you know, Gary Wilson and Sauce Gardner earned Offensive and Defensive Rookie of the Year honors. This year, C.J. Stroud and defensively, you know, Will Anderson's got a shot. Uh, talk about the Texans defense and the influence that Anderson's plays had on that unit. Yeah, I mean, I think Anderson's brought a tenacity on the line of scrimmage and from a run and pass game standpoint. Everybody wants to, you know, praise and people like love sacks. But in reality – there's more to the game than just sacks, right? And I think last year the Texans allowed the six most rushing yards per game. This year they, their run defense is drastically better, and they've been able to get more sacks, right? The scheme that uh, D'Amico brought in, which is very similar, is actually the same exact as what Salah had, um, that fit to Will Anderson's strength, right? And then that fit to the other guys on the defensive line strength, like Charlie Knight, which he played in the scheme last year, and um, like, Jonathan Bernard, who's a guy that loves to rush up the field, and he's very athletic, very explosive. It's fit him, right, versus having to catch and read blocks um, when it comes to stopping the run. So they've been able to, you know, have tremendous success 
year one, and I think it can only get better as the year progress. I think Will Anderson right now looks like a potential defensive rookie of the year. It's funny, like Garrett, Garrett Wilson and Sauce last year, it was like the Texans are going to be able to do the same thing, which is speaks to the speaks to the parallel of how there's so many similarities between the Jets and Texans. DJ, uh, the loss of Tank Dell, uh, that was a, a real down part of the, the win against the, the Broncos. How much of a loss is that going to be moving forward? Because he looked like he was absolutely electric. That's going to be a big loss. Um, he had 700 yards received. I think that was like top 20, top 25 in the league. When you lose a guy like that, especially his skill set, because him and Nico fit very well. Like while, while both of them are shifty, like um, Tank provided a little bit more of an explosive threat over the top, which allowed Nico to also be able to work better underneath. Like it was just like the perfect pieces to the puzzle. The one game where Tank Dale missed with a concussion, um, T.J. Trout had his lowest passing yard performance against the Saints. Now, granted, the Saints defense is really good, so I don't want to equate that only to Tank not being there. But I think they're going to miss him, I think especially this week, right, because Sauce is really good. D.J. Reed's really good. Michael Carter II is really good. They're all really good and sticky in coverage. They're very well sound. And they played in a scheme for, I know, Sauce, this is his second year. D.J. Reed is his second year. But Michael Carter, this is his third year. And they've been playing together. And they haven't, like, they haven't missed that much time together. So the communication and on the back end across the board is pretty stout, right? So not having Tank is going to be a massive factor in this game. DJ, what's been the secret to Stroud? You've watched him. Uh, we've seen quarterback, rookie quarterback struggle. We've seen them have a tough time adjusting to the speed, to the speed of the, the, the defense, to different coverages. He's just throwing the ball all over the yard wherever he goes. What, 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 what has been the secret to his success so quickly? Yeah, I would say um, some people would say poise. Um, that's one thing. He doesn't really get flushed in the pocket. But I do truly think we're having spent time with him, talk to him in a locker room, at the podium, things of that nature, like like being able to pick his brain a little bit. He's a dog. Like like I think we we um sometimes underestimate how important it is at the position to be a dog, like a legitimate alpha male dog at quarterback to where like the moment never gets too big because you have so much confidence in yourself to try to make like to overcome whatever's thrown at you. So I think that's what it really is, man. Like, as you guys saw, probably, you know, the viral video of, you know, some of the um, – like this one Broncos linebacker trying to, you know, get in his face right after a play and he didn't back down. He's nodding his head. He turned around. He's like, like, that was firing him up, right? It's kind of – I don't want to use this phrase, but I'm going to – I guess I can use it. It's kind of Brady-esque. It's kind of – like, it's like those guys that – those moments, like Patrick Mahomes. Like, I know y'all remember when uh, – on the quarterback series of Patrick Mahomes and – and Max Crosby get into it, and Matt Patrick Mahomes is yelling, I'm here, I'm here. Like, that's the type of swagger and dog mentality that TJ has, paired with the fact that he's a ball placement specialist, that like, he can put the ball wherever he wants. And, it, like, his completion percentage might not be as high as you want, but in reality, like, he makes a plethora of throws that make you forget about that arbitrary number that, you know, from a completion percentage standpoint. So I would say because he's a dog and he is a ball placement specialist. One final one for me, uh, Dalton Schultz. What's his status for uh, this game? And, and if he does not go, in addition to the injury to Tank Dell, who do you think steps up? Yeah, I think that Dalton is going to play. Hamstring uh, issue. Um, he practiced early in the week, limited, didn't practice on Thursday. I don't think he's going to play. Um, but if he doesn't, obviously, if he doesn't play, Brevin Jordan, who had a career high 62 yards on three catches last week, very, very explosive tight end um, from a 
yards at the catch standpoint. He's basically like a big receiver, um, and he can you know he's getting better in the blocking game. So I think that's who, who would replace him. Um, if they go like twelve personnel, I think it would be Brevin, and then they'll move their fullback to the other tight end spot um, to just you know because they 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 view Andrew Beck as a Swiss Army knife in the terms that he can block um, in a really well in the run game from whatever position that he's at. So I think um, it'd be you know those two guys, but mainly it'd be Brevin Jordan. DJ, what is this? What is this Texan defense expecting from this Jet offense? Mm, that's a good question. Um, well, after the game, I remember talking to a couple of Texan players. They they expected it to be Zach once they knew that Tim Boyle was benched. Um, I mean, Jimmy Ward today on one of the local TV stations, he said that he see a lot of Aaron Rodgers in Zach, and he thinks he's, he's like he's really high on him. I think they're gonna respect because one thing I, I'll say, like this defense, I mean, this team has a lot of veterans, right? So they don't. They don't necessarily overlook teams. They don't really overlook teams because, in reality, like, think about it, on the back end, you got Jimmy Ward, you got Steven Nelson. Those guys, have been, they're both in their 30s. They've been in the league for a while. On a D line, you got Sheldon Rankins, you got um, Malik Collins, you got Jonathan Gennard. Then at the linebacker spot, you got Blake Cashman, you got Denzel Perryman. Like, these are pros. These are guys that have been around the league. They know what it's like um, in terms of any week you can get guy. And some of those other guys have been on really bad teams, so they know what it's like when they can pull off an upset. So in my eyes, I don't think they're taking the Jets for granted at all. In all honesty, the, te- the Jets, I mean, the Texans know offensively and defensively. I know it's about defense, but they both know on both sides. They have to jump out early. If they don't, they know that's only going to give the Jets more and more confidence and to keep them in the game with the possibility of being able to upset them. So, in reality, like the Texans, Texans are not taking the Jets lightly at all. And in and, and, and honesty, in reality, there's there's some former Jet guys over there on the Texans. They want to show Joe Douglas they made a mistake by letting them go, right? There, there's a few guys there that left with a bitter taste in their mouth out of New York, and they want to show the Jets you made a mistake by letting me go. I know that's a cliche, but having actually talked to some of the guys, yeah, no, nah, that no, nah, there, it's not like it's. I hate the Jets, but it's for sure like they want to stick it to the Jets. And especially watching the Steelers lose tonight to a two and ten team going in, you don't want to put you you don't want to put that chance because that will derail your playoff chances. Exactly. DJ, thanks for a couple of minutes. We'll Thank talk you. soon. No problem. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right, you got it. DJ Benjamin, former Daily News Jets reporter, now covering for the Houston Texans for ESPN's NFL Nation of Reporters. All right, tell you what, Gordon and I will step away. We'll come back. We got a lot to talk about. That's next on 98.7 ESPN. This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN. Larry, what's going on, my friend? <laughs> I mean, boy, you know, after that Island of the Post game, we had to jump right into our segments. We had a chance to say hi. Goals tonight. Scoring was. Seven. Uh... Wow, they fast were, you and know, furious as they it was. They listen. You you need when you give up three, you need to save some of those sevens because there's going to be another game where you're going to wish you had a couple extra goals. Islanders almost outscored the Steelers tonight. I know they almost did. They, they almost, almost did. How about that game? Nobody expected that game to be that high. How about that? No, they they, they hit the over in the first half. I know. That's why they call it gambling. That's why they do, and that's why you know that Amanda, was a game made for gambling. That, yeah, Harvey was. was was chastising me for having money on that game. I said, "This is a game that's made for. How else am I supposed to watch this dreck? I have to have something <laughs> on one of the sides." Well, I'll say this, Gordon. 
the uh, reaction from Yankee fans has just been unbelievable after the Juan Soto trade mm-hmm. last night. I As mean, you knew it would be. I heard from a couple of people I hadn't heard from in about two years today. See Celebrate. That? Oh, we got oh. So I thought for let, – let's hear some of the folks who were weighing in on this Juan Soto deal. Here's a person who – this might be – other than the Yankee front office, this might be the happiest person that I know about Juan Soto being with the Yankees. Aaron Judge, here's what he had to say. I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited. You know, it's, uh, he's a generational talent. You know, we gave up quite a few, you know, special pitchers uh, in the package. But I think everybody, everybody in pinstripes is looking forward to having Juan Soto, Grissom, you know, Verdugo, all those guys, you know, in pinstripes. So it's going to be a, a fun year. See the smile? You can, you can hear the you, smile. You can hear a smile. They always tell you in radio when you're coming up that you should always broadcast with a smile That's because right. it, uh, it it reads on the radio. You can it hear does. that smile. It, it just brings off sunny disposition. We're happy. Yes. And Yankee oh, fans should be. This is a great be. player that they've acquired. And, you know, I just keep wondering what has changed because they've had the opportunity to add game changing players in past off seasons, but they have not wanted to spend the money and not wanted to go the extra mile. And this time they have broken with tradition. This is a very non Brian Cashman type move to trade for somebody a year away from free agency. Who's looking at a contract of $500 million, giving up prospects to get this kind of guy. I'm wondering maybe if it's the judge effect. You know, Judge has been very vocal in that, you know, he talks with um, with Hal Stein. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe it's the bad season. Maybe Hal's just fed up with the way things are. But something has certainly changed, that's for sure. I think it's all the above, Gordon. Maybe. I really do. I think it's all the above. I think it's Judge, you know, giving him the, you know, the, the view from his standpoint. Like, you know, you're killing me. <laughs> you're killing me with this lack of production in this lineup. And listen, Gordon, much like you and the fans, your Yankee fans, he came. He was here in 2017. All right, that's when we kind of thought things were. Yankee fans thought, you know, listen, it was Girardi's last year. It's six years ago, Gordon. It's a long six time years. ago now. And so, and then after back-to-back seasons of not even being involved, you know, you know, luckily getting to the postseason but being destroyed by Houston, and then last year, which was, I mean, give me a break, 82 and 80. That's that's not Yankee. So. I think all that had the effect, and speaking of Brian Cashman, he was asked about the effect that Juan Soto will have on this Yankee offense. Well, as you know, the future is always now. 24 is our focus, and trying to become that last team standing once again, as we've done in years gone by, that's the focus. So that's what the Yankees are all about, is how's it best to position us for 24, and how best generally to position us for our very next season. Uh, that's You're right. That's not normally what Cashman thinks about. And it's and the other thing that's unusual about this, Gordon, is, you know, they don't always make the big splashy move in the offseason. They kind of normally do it at the trade deadline uh, on occasion so that, you know, they see what they have and they find out what they need and then they go out and make some changes you normally at the trade deadline. But, uh, you know, listen, if you're a Yankee fan, you're happy that Cashman broke with tradition and got a guy in here early. Yeah, and uh, like most people have said, it can't stop now. Uh, right. You take a look at that rotation. It's Garrett Cole. It's Rodon. It's Nestor Cortez who's coming back after shoulder injuries. It's Clark Schmidt who uh, is coming off a career high in innings, which was like 60. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, uh, and it's a bunch of even bigger question marks. So they need to go and fill out that rotation. They're set to meet with Yamamoto on Monday. 
and they got to keep pushing this thing forward uh, because the, he's right. The, the future is right now. Aaron Judge is not getting any younger. Garrett Cole's not getting any younger. And they have a lot of age on this team, so they're going to have to go all in. They, they have avoided doing that these past six years. Now they have no other choice. They got to go all in on this year. All right, and speaking of Yamamoto, Buster only was on with Bart and Han earlier today, and they asked him, how long is this bidding thing going to go on for? I think it'll be done before Christmas, you know, because he's going to have these meetings, and then they'll be in a great position to, to take offers. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see if, in fact, as executives and agents are predicting, it's going to be come, come down to who offers the most money. That's going to make it simple, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. for his representatives to go back and forth with these teams and like, hey, the – the Yankees have offered a billion dollars. Uh, you know, Mets, wh- where are you going to go? Okay, you're a billion one. <laughs> okay, uh, Dodgers, you want to go. Right, uh, right. Or whatever the number. All right, so, Buster, how good are the Yankee chances here? It looks like it's a pure bidding war. And what's so fascinating to me about this, you know, I, in all the years I cover baseball, you know, there have been times when the Mets have been the dominant team in New York. There are times the Yankees have been the dominant team in New York. But they have never gone bare knuckle, toe to toe after the same elite free agents ever before. You've got Steve yeah. Cohen against Hal Steinbrenner, Yankees versus Mets, and oh by the way, the Dodgers are in on it, and the Giants are in on it. Old this school. is a perfect storm of bidders. And so at the beginning of this, the projection was, well, you could get two hundred million. Uh uh-uh. uh. It's gonna be way north of that because you do not see twenty five year old starting pitchers with fewer than a thousand innings professionally tread off the tire, like you can make a case uh, for each of these organizations why this guy would be so valuable to them moving forward, which is why I think it's going to be a battle of the checkbook. Three hundred million and the final four: Mets, Yankees, Dodgers, and Giants. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I would think that that would favor the Mets. Yeah, I would. Uh, if you're looking so. for. I think they're all going to spend money, and we don't know that money is the, the, the most important thing to Yamamoto. Maybe it's situation. Maybe it's tradition. Maybe it could be a thousand things. Mm-hmm. But if it's money, you'd have to think the Mets have to have this player. It lines up perfectly with the, they need pitching. He's 25 years old. They already got a Japanese ace in the rotation. They would love to have another one in, in Yamamoto. And if it comes down to money – who is going to tell Steve Cohen no? He goes off and flies to – he's not looking for frequent flyer miles. He's going there to, to seal a deal, and he's a deal maker. So I would think if it does come down to money, the Mets have to be the overwhelming favorites. I tell you what, Gordon, it's a lot of pressure on Steve Cohen here. Yeah, oh, absolutely. A lot of pressure, lot of pressure absolutely. on him. Have to I have mean, this player. He's got to have – he's got to get him. He doesn't have – he, he has to get him. I mean, you know, from a monetary standpoint, who else – I mean, I mean, you know, you gave up two pitches last year. You put yourself in position. You, you've shown that you're willing to spend money, Gordon. I mean, that's clear. And how would it look? You spent, you spent what, eighty, almost ninety million on two forty, almost seventy-six year old pitchers combined last year, and then you don't spend money to get a guy like this. And then the Yankees go out and do what they did with Soto. Oh, this is this is a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah, and and it, it's possible that he the Mets do have the highest offer, and for whatever reason, he wants to go someplace else. He wants to be on the West Coast and pitch for the Dodgers mm-hmm. or the Giants. Who knows? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but if that if it does if it turns out that the Mets at some point, I think the Mets have to be about more than just being the team that overpays. 
Right. And yeah. if they do overpay and they still don't get the player, even with um, the, the new head of baseball operations in place in David Stearns, I think that's going to lead to some uncomfortable questions of why are you why are you still not able to land the player when you are the one with the unlimited budget? Yeah, it's true. A lot, a lot of pressure. A lot, a lot of pressure. One eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six. We'll come back. We'll take some phone calls, and Gordon and I will take a look at a couple of good football games we got with playoff implications this weekend. And Gordon, I was watching the uh, NBA Cup today. I had to talk to Harvey to try to help me out. Okay. I'll explain That's, uh, why. That, 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 I can tell you right now that didn't go well. I'll explain why next on 9870 ESPN. This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN. Hey, everybody. Sticks and Farner will come together for the Renegade and Jukebox Heroes Tour next summer at PNC Bank Art Center on July 23rd. And ESPN New York has a, your chance to score tickets all week at ESPNNewYork.com or on the ESPN New York app. Scroll down the contest, submit your entry. Brought to you by Live Nation. Tickets are on sale tomorrow. That's tomorrow at 10 a.m. at Ticketmaster.com. And by the way, isn't Kay doing something tomorrow, Gordon? Yeah, that would be the Michael K. Show holiday party. It uh, is tomorrow, December 8th, almost today, uh, at your mother's house in Garden City Park, Long Island, with special guest appearances by Amani Toomer and Rick DiPietro. Increase your chances of winning one of the holiday giveaways by giving up to three toys for donations. Mark your advent calendars and get ready to spread some holiday cheer at the Michael K. Show holiday party. It is on Friday afternoon at your mother's house in Garden City Park, Long Island. It's brought to you by Momentum Solar, the New York Islanders, Jake's 58 Casino Hotel, Yingling Traditional Lager and Flight by Yingling, the perfect beers for the holiday season. Security Dodge, visit securitydodge.com and can get some selection and benefiting the Garden of Dreams Foundation. Very good. Tommy's in Connecticut. Tommy, talk to us on 98.7 ESPN. Good evening, gentlemen. Just uh, wanted to say, you know, Big ups to Al Michaels to actually get the call like a somewhat decent football game on a Thursday night. I'm sure he appreciated that. But uh just wanted to talk about the fourth and two call that the uh, Steelers, when they took that deep shot, made absolutely no sense to me. I totally would understand it if it was four down territory to do that on third down, go fishing for a pass interference. But uh, I, ju- I just did not get it whatsoever. You know, Mitchell, uh, thanks, Tommy. Mitchell Trubisky did not have a good game, Gordon. Uh, he started no, out he's terrible. awful. He's, he's not good, you no, know, he's but, but he's uh, a backup quarterback. You know, it is yeah, what it is. They, they, did is. The, they did the best they could with him. But uh, yeah, that didn't really make a whole lot of it sense. Didn't, but they were desperate. Yeah. And, and I'll be honest with you, kind of did look like pass interference. So it, if yeah. they would have gotten that call, maybe. Uh, I just don't think on fourth and two, you put the entire game on that call. Exactly. First down, second down, you want to take a shot? Absolutely. Fourth down and two. But it's not like they have any great out. And, and you know what? The Steelers are not a good team. They're not. They're not a good team. They might make the playoffs. They've been very fortunate. They've now lost a couple of games in a row to Arizona and uh, New England. So that shows you, you know, lose one game to a, a, a bad team. That's one thing. Lose back-to-back games to bad teams. Not good. Not good. Uh, before I tell you about the Knicks, Gordon, give me your thoughts on the two big games this weekend for me, which is uh, Kansas City and uh, Buffalo. And also uh, Dallas and Philly. Well, for Buffalo, I mean, there can't be any. It's a must-win game. It's a must-win game because that thing is spiraling. There's a story today about uh, their head coach, uh, Sean McDermott. I can't get into it now, but uh, 
that is a situation that is spiraling out of control. And they, they, if they want to make the playoffs and keep things on track, they need to win this game because then otherwise it could just be the roof caves in. What was the other game, Philly? Philly and Dallas. Yeah, well, look, this is Dallas's cha- – you know, we watch Dallas from time to time, and they look – you think to yourself, they could be really good. They mm-hmm. could be – you know, this, this could be the year. But then when the rubber hits the road, they'll always let you down. So mm-hmm. here's an opportunity to prove that they are for real against an Eagles team that's maybe not as good as their record indicates. I think Kansas City and uh, Philadelphia win. I think both of them coming off losses. They're going to be focused. They're going to mm-hmm. be ready. And I'm just – I have no faith in Buffalo right now, Gordon. I just No, you can't. <laughs> I just don't. I really don't. Uh, the one thing I was going to share with you, watching the earlier game today yeah. uh, in the NBA Cup, Pacers mm-hmm. and Bucks, I'm watching a guard in Halliburton that the Knicks should have had. Yep. And watching the player that they picked instead of Halliburton and Toppin not be on both of them be on the other team that wins. <laughs> it's like, ugh. It, it's not really gotten any attention yet, but that it did at the time. That Toppin trade was terrible. Yeah, it was. They got absolutely nothing for him. Nothing. Guy who was the eighth pick in the draft. Unbelievable. Uh, so you'll be able to talk all the stuff on on Saturday morning, right? All the yeah. McDermott stuff, all the TikTok, oh, all that stuff. We're 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 locked and loaded, ready for a big Saturday program, and 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 we're going to try to find uh, Joe a new team so That's he can right. move off his Jets. So we'll, right. we'll do that on Saturday. Well, have fun with that. Have a great weekend. I'll talk to I, you on Monday. I will try, Larry. All right, that wraps you up too. this edition. Of, thank you, sir. That wraps up this edition of ESPN New York tonight. Harvey Julian, thank you very much. Conversation continues right here on ninety eight seven ESPN. This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN.